over the line! Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, where we pick one overrated and one underrated movie within the same uh, genre, style, director, or story, or however we see fit. Uh, this is Akte Ege Kozak. I'm Eric McClanahan. And I'm Ryan Oliver. Yeah, and we, we are on the second episode of our annual uh, Halloween trio of episodes where each one of us pick an over overrated and underrated uh, movie that's kind of Halloween-themed. It doesn't have to be necessarily in the horror genre, but has to kind of fit the mood. Um, and we did uh, Inside uh, and High Tension. Uh, those were Eric's uh, picks because... He's a, he's kind of a messed up individual, and we kind of cleared that ground. Uh, but uh, so that was French New Extremity, and now we're moving on to kind of gothic, what would we like gothic witchcraft based period pieces, horror, and uh, a mix between like Vincent Price and Hammer horror, like mm. basically at least a, at least a throwback to to hammer studios horror so um uh but we are going to start off with uh and these are ryan's picks by the way and we're going to start off with uh ryan's overrated pick which is the 1999 uh tim burton adaptation of uh sleepy hollow the Holstrom is a hessian mercenary sent to these shores by german princes to keep americans under the yoke of england but unlike his compatriots who came for money the horseman came for love of carnage. When battle was joined, there you'd find him. A lot of young, uh, those those snappy young young kids. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Sleepy Hollow as the uh, what is it? A CW show or uh, I don't know which I network. Think it's, it's a on, Fox so. show. Um, but then there was the Disney animated uh, movie, which yeah, there was. Which I remember with the like before. dopey uh, song where he'd be like Ichabod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Crane. Uh, which is not very good. <laughs> yeah, the, I think I think the show is kind of like they show Ichabod Crane as like yet another like buff, you know, charismatic, like good-looking CW type dude or whatever. But um, uh, you know, but in the in the case of in Tim Burton's case, it's kind of like a um a throwback to Hammer films, I would say. Uh, it's but it's it's almost like a parody in some cases. It's uh has some weird tonal shifts uh but anyway yeah it's a story of like it's a story of the headless horseman as everybody uh, as a lot of a lot of you know by now uh, that um is in the town of sleepy hollow and cutting off heads and ichabod crane played by johnny depp is there to kind of get to the bottom of things so um ryan why'd you pick uh sleepy hollow as your overrated well, Sleepy Hollow is a weirdly personal overrated for me uh, in, a, in a strange way. Um, when I was a kid, like when I was very young, like three, three or four um, and between nine years old, somewhere in there, um, before I even knew what a director did, I knew Tim Burton's name. I knew Tim Burton by name. When I saw that he was directing a movie if Don LaFontaine on an ad said a Tim Burton film, that meant that meant a lot to me. Like that meant a stamp of quality. Um, nice. I've seen Batman more than any movie ever. Um, I've seen <laughs> Batman Returns a lot too, um, which I think is even better. Um, and then when I was more like seven or eight, um, I got introduced. My mom had introduced me to Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, which are still two of my favorite movies to this day. Um, I'm still 
even though he does frequently disappoint me in the later years, I'm still very much a very like I owe a lot of the films that I like and the things that I like as an adult. I could see from the influence of enjoying Tim Burton's films as a kid. So he still means a lot to me as a filmmaker. And so in 1999, when uh, the Sleepy Hollow movie was coming out, I was really excited to see the movie, um, but I was not allowed to because I was too young. Uh, I don't know if my parents actually saw it or my mom just watched Entertainment Tonight and heard about all the decapitations, um, but which there are so many in this movie, so which we can get to. Um, but I, I was not allowed to see there, it. At I, least there's variety in the way that it happens. <laughs> this is very true. But uh, at nine years old, I was not allowed to see it. I think I saw it eventually, like when I was 12 or 13, uh, at an age where, you know, you're not really picky about the movies that you watch. So when I saw it at that age, I, like I, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is everything that I would have hoped that an R-rated Tim Burton movie uh, would have been. Um, and I hadn't seen Ed Wood at that point either. But um, then when I watched it later in, in life as more of a, a more film savvy person, I, I had always wondered, like I liked the movie, but it never resonated with me the way that like, I know some people just love this movie, um, you know, maybe got to watch it at that young age, uh, even younger age that I didn't get to watch the movie as. But I just didn't love it as much. And watching it as an adult, I think I pinpointed the problem. Uh, I mean, there are other problems, but like the sort of exterior factors of this movie, this is that turning point for me where Tim Burton got Barton finked like he sort of <laughs> became, like he became like what's an intellectual property we can dust off and give it that that Tim Burton feel that Barton Fink feel. Burton feel. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, I, I can hire 50 other directors that could give me that Tim Burton feeling <laughs> exactly and so that's that's this is sort of the start of where that happened where it's like applied like an Instagram filter to yeah and then Planet the of the Apes property. was right after this right? Planet of the Apes and then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and then uh yeah. Uh, yeah, and then Sweeney Todd, which I did like quite a bit, but then Alice in Wonderland and so on and so forth. This was sort of the start of that. But then as a but then that's the exterior stuff. But then watching it as a movie itself, um, I think there are still a lot of good things in it. Um, I do think I, I love Danny Elfman. His scores a little overwrought here, but it's not. It's not bad. Um, Emmanuel Lebesky cinematography. Well, it, it, it is fits incredible. the overwrought um, um, feel of the movie. Right, I well, that's, think that's the thing. Why the, it works, but the movie is too overwrought. And I think where yeah. I uh, like fog and the the mood, like to me, the best scene in this movie is the opening credits where mm -hmm. Ichabod's writing to Sleepy Hollow and you just kind of get immersed in that. Like, Which is weird because I would say ride. that uh, about a lot of Tim Burton movies. Like I would say that about Dark Shadows for sure. Um, well, yeah, I would agree. But I think that I think that. Um, the th the thing about Burton is he he finds um, he finds the beauty in the horrific, of course, but he also like he's a very plot allergic director. Like plot mm -hmm. has never been his strong suit, and so when a movie doesn't have to adhere to certain plot constructions, that's where he does his best work. Like for me, that would be Edward Scissorhands. But like when mm -hmm. the plot has to kick in in this movie, and you like there's the central mystery involved in it. It's not really very exciting. Um, and then by the time the reveal comes, you don't I don't really care about it. Like, I, I just kind of those moments, those very few moments where you can just kind of get lost in the the look and the mood of the movie, which is what Tim Burton does best, is sort of undermined by this like half baked plot. Um, and honestly, a, a frankly, 
pretty dull central Johnny Depp performance, I gotta say. Hmm. Like, he, he doesn't, like, I don't know, he doesn't quite do it for me in this movie. But I, I, I've i said my piece. I'd like to know, uh, I guess, what you guys discovered uh, upon rewatching it this time around. Yeah, so um, the, the stuff that I first, let me get to the positives that I've, I've always liked about this movie. I was also um, a little bit uh, conflicted about it when I first saw it. And if I feel like if we were recording this podcast uh, around like the year two thousand, with 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 a with a tiny little kitty Ryan Oliver, um, <laughs> but you know let's let's imagine that we've like time traveled or something, and the the two thousands Tim Burton movies didn't exist. Uh, he tripped on um, like around the year two thousand one or whatever. He tripped on Helena Bonham Carter's uh, hair and then like fought, fell and broke his neck or something, <laughs> and we don't get the other we don't get the other Tim Burton movies. Uh, around that time, I would have said that Sleepy Hollow was probably one of his weaker films, like on the weaker end. But he has made so many, so much worse stuff after that, that, yeah, I, I could see that. And especially I could see what you're saying about Ryan, about like the Barton Finkification of uh, Tim Burton around that time. But I, I still enjoy Sleepy Hollow um, because you can still see like the glimmers of this like playful goofy tim burton uh, in there where he's kind of the stuff that i love about it is the way it mixes like the aesthetic and the the gothic like the the grim gothic style of like hammer horror films with a with a kind of goofy approach to to violence and performances that that almost make it look like he's parodying those films um it's not a it's not a straight hammer throwback because the protagonists in those films, like, you know, you think about, like, Peter Cushing as, like, Gwen Helsing or whatever, they, they're not comedic characters. They're not, like, like, like Johnny, what Johnny Depp is doing here is basically inserting a character like, uh, like Inspector Clouseau into a Hammer film, mm. which is, like, which in itself is kind of playful. It's a little bit subversive, and I like that. Like, his performance, yeah, I do agree. More could have been done with that, with the, with the idea of, like, this dark, bloody story with like decapitations that's like gothic and grimy but like at the center of it you have this like kind of scaredy cat character that's that's a mix between like the the uh the more masculine like johnny depp type and uh the the kind of cowardly uh animated character we know from the disney uh short and uh so i i like those combinations i love all the um the parts that I love about this movie when I when I'm really into this movie are always the parts when it just becomes like the when it just has fun with the basic concept of a uh, headless horseman out for revenge tension builds up and then it, it all like climaxes with someone's head getting chopped off in like a uh, a creative and uh interesting gruesome way. Uh, I love all that stuff. I love everything to do with like the the, the headless horseman and the attacks and the action sequences. And the the weird goofy like ways that Ichabod Crane uses uh, medicine to to figure out what's going on, uh, and I feel like the problem with the movie is exactly what you said, Ryan. It's like I feel like that would have been fine. Uh, it would have been totally fine if the whole story was about you know the headless horseman was a warrior, was like the psychopath, and then he got cornered. Like you get this backstory, which is probably my favorite scene, the whole backstory because it's so unbelievably goofy the way that like. That makeup like, on Christopher Walken. Yeah, and the, so it's so bad. over the top. And, and the way that, like, heads are popping off, like, champagne corks and stuff. And it's just, <laughs> that that's that that's kind of stuff. That's when it, like, when, that's when, whenever the movie lets loose with that kind of goofy violence, that's when I have a lot of fun with it. And that story, 
contained within that that parameter would have been totally fine like he's just uh, he's trying to escape the the law and then maybe the townspeople kind of rat him out and then now he's out to get revenge but then the whole that's the interesting part like who who really gives a shit about like all this like conspiracy that's going on within the town and the the mystery that surrounds it and you know the kind of twists and turns that we find out about like oh this guy was related to that woman and then that woman was married to that guy and then there was this conspiracy it's like no one cares we just want to see the headless horsemen chop off heads and like we want to see johnny depp shit his pants and we want to just have a blast and that's my that's always been my main problems with this movie and um as much as i really liked it when it first came out i was really i was i was into it i was into it but i could definitely see like the the cracks starting to appear in his like style and in in his approach to, to plot and i feel like uh, I want to hear what Eric has to say, and I want to mm. kind of open up this question to you guys. Do you think that Andrew Kevin Walker, coming right out of uh, right off of Seven, mm. do you think in a way that uh, the studios kind of pushed this project to turn into kind of like an intricate mystery because they were like, "Oh, we got the writer of Seven. We need to turn this into some kind of procedural." Do you think that kind of messed it up, or was there like maybe that was like their intention all along, but? Uh, what do you think, Eric? Do you think like the the whole like convoluted mystery elements of the film uh, messes it up, or like overall, what did you think about like catching up with it again? Yeah, well, uh, just maybe to at least start with your question, <clears throat> I had forgotten that Andrew Kevin Walker wrote the script for this movie, and it felt like as soon as that credit came on the screen. I saw like the scene out of an uh, episode of Entourage where like an agent pitches this idea for this this update of Sleepy Hollow, and we got Tim Burton, we got Johnny Depp, and we got Andrew Kevin Walker to make it dark. It feels like we were starting to see the seeds of like taking known properties into a darker version, like before even like Christopher Nolan comes along to do his Batman movies. Um, mm. it, and so I, it felt a little forced in terms of that. I don't think um, at least Andrew Kevin Walker, the screenwriter of seven is not so much present. His voice isn't present really for me in this movie. It's maybe, and that's probably just inherently because Tim Burton is such a, has such a strong authorial voice as a director, you know, like it screams Tim Burton, Andrew Kevin Walker beyond the like darker, like mystery plot of it. I don't really feel so much. Um, other than it just seems like a real sexy name to attach to something like this at the time. You know, the, the screenwriter of Seven's going to give us this new version of it, and then Tim Burton will direct it. Um, so that's where I see that. But um, revisiting the movie, I you know, I, I, I wasn't crazy about it when I saw it in theaters when it came out in 1999. Um, I just remember thinking it was a little, like, goofy. Um, I saw what they were going for with Johnny Depp. And I mean, while his performance is nothing to like, um, you know, like defend necessarily in this movie, at least it's toned down compared to what also would come to be. the. Yes. the it's the not John- the Mad Hatter. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And same for Tim Burton. I mean, this feels more restrained than those movies, but I think Ryan really laid it down perfectly is this is this is um, not unlike our our. Uh, when we talked about Terry Gilliam with fear and loathing, it's sort of the beginning of the downward trend for, for a director who started to kind of just apply their, their voice, their style to something that sounds good on paper, but less and less so in practice um, when you'd see them. So uh, yeah, I, the, the main thing is I agree. Also Christopher Walken just, it's like, there is a goofy like enjoyability to seeing him in this movie, but it just also feels all wrong. Like, the tone of this movie is never consistent and it 
it, it can work that way if you want to go from goofy humor to um, extreme violence or actually you know straight up horror scenes and scares. But it's it. I just think Tim Burton's not like necessarily. I don't know. He's done it before. It just feels like a bit tired at this point and not as well like massaged into being something. Um, that's necessarily that entertaining. The movie has moments. It's like, it's totally watchable, but yet my God, by the end too, when everything is being revealed and a lot of the names are being thrown back and forth. in a lot of the scenes is when I start to really lose interest in the movie. Mm-hmm, me too. And I will have to admit, uh, I laughed extremely hard, uh, in an unintentional way. Maybe it's meant to be funny, but like right at the end when they kind of, they get the, I mean, spoiler for Sleepy Hollow, I guess, but they they get to the point where Johnny Depp throws the skull at the Headless Horseman. It's the Headless Horseman's skull. It's just like such a goofy scene when you watch yeah. it. He just says, hey, Horseman, and he, he literally throws the skull at this fake, it just all of it just doesn't work, and that's when the movie really crumbles for me is uh, it goes from sort of like not a perfect, but overall, I'm like enjoying it fine, and then it just really kind of falls apart at yeah, the end. There, there are some really bizarre line line readings, uh, especially when it comes to the the shoehorned in uh, romance angle between yeah. uh, Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. There are some lines in there that like rival uh, some of the worst lines in like... Um, in like Attack of the Clones, not not to mention that Christina Ricci is with the Casper Van Dien character. It's a, it's a, more than implied in the beginning of the movie. And yeah, he, they're together. He gets, he gets I forgot brutally... Casper Van Dien was in this movie, <laughs> I know. and, then... and he's only was... there to be a dunce that like won't stop fighting the headless horseman until he gets sawed in half. And it's like he he's brutally <laughs> he's brutally murdered, <laughs> and he's an idiot. And... Like you're like, well, that's his fault. You know, Johnny Depp even tries to tell him like, stop doing that. Like, we're not gonna win. Yeah. But well, uh... I think the the balance the imbalance of time in this movie and yeah. like eric you just hit that is really where this movie just doesn't does not work for me and it's disappointing in in uh in the way that burton has been able to balance that sort of like sense of humor which you know again back to edward scissorhands which is my favorite tim burton movie is like he balances that like suburban satire with like that with the gothic romance and with the like um sympathy for the devil sympathy for the creature story and like he merges all this together where here it's like it it is way too goofy at times but and it doesn't know if it wants to be a gothic romance or if it wants to be a straight up hammer horror movie as octi said um but there you know there are goofy joys to be had with the decapitations and i i kind of mentioned it briefly at the beginning i think lebesky's cinematography is really really good in this yeah, movie i uh, forgot he which, shot this man yeah, me too it's, when it's his name beautiful. popped up i was like well that makes sense uh, <laughs> yeah, me too looks, yeah. it looks incredible and i got to say as much as you know with those movies like charlie's chocolate factory and alice in wonderland that i would under like find pretty much unwatchable visually at the very least this movie holds up incredibly well agreed yeah yeah, yeah totally. and, and it, it has some set pieces like the action set pieces are a lot of fun for me and uh whenever they show up they really pick up the dull kind of pacing and uh like for example the the whole church sequence is the is the like the craziest kind of over-the-top action scene and it's like so much fun to watch and it comes at a point where the story just gets bogged down with all this, like the, the unnecessary mystery yeah, and uh, all that crap. And like that, that, that scene is kind of like a godsend because you see, like, it's just like all of these like goofy elements, like all come together in this like delicious uh, mishmash. Uh, and, you know, like Kristen Ricci goes all like full on witch and starts like 
doing incantations, and that's why the this headless horseman can't get into the church. Mm. And uh, he uses a fucking uh, fence of the church to like spike the like throw it and spike the uh, Chris Nerich's father yeah. to like pull him out. Like there's some like really inventive and and like gruesome and fun and goofy kills in this in this movie and that's the stuff that i love and and yeah it is it is kind of like like kind of like what we talked about with fear and loathing in las vegas it's like when you look back at the filmography of uh a beloved like a favorite director that kind of like lost his way and then you kind of pinpoint the beginning of the downfall the movie that that represents kind of like the beginning of that downfall is kind of stuck in between those phases so mm. like that's that's what i thought about like fear and loathing in las vegas it's not as terrible as terry gilliam's later films but but it's it's definitely not as good as his earlier ones and this is sleepy hollow for me like kind of stays within that 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 time period it's just like there's a lot of stuff that reminds me of earlier tim burton stuff that i relate to that i really like and there's a lot of this like bogged down kind of uh studio ruled um you know, fo- almost like focus group, like, oh, it's a writer of seven. We have to have a mystery and all that crap. And right. uh, so, so it's it's kind of like stuck in between. What do you what do you guys think about that? Yeah, oh, I definitely. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just real quick. I was just going to say, yeah, it, it feels really padded out in that way, too, where the um, the whole Tim Burton thing of like trying to have sympathy for the the monster kind of works against this movie where it starts to feel yes. like half yeah it feels like half of a prequel and half of the actual story and interesting that it also came out in 1999 when you know episode one for Star Wars came out where maybe that's the other trend that this was starting to be the seeds of is like over explaining things the from backstory exactly and it's it's really mm-hmm. like that's not needed in this movie. It, sh- it needs to be simpler. And yet it's, it's like really kind of overtly, overly complicated. So yeah, I had two, th- two things to add. Um, number one, to answer your question, it is in between though, maybe more just me because I still have such a fondness for Tim Burton, even though he, like I said, he's disappointed me in the later years. He still has, unlike Gilliam for me, he has released some good movies post Sleepy Hollow. Mm. I really like Sweeney Todd. I really, really like Frank and Weenie. Um, so like mm, he's done yeah. some good things. Uh, yeah, most people did. Uh, it's great. Brief <laughs> um, underrated if you want to go back and watch that movie. But the other yeah. thing, the one interesting thing I did take away from this viewing um, is that this movie, it came out in 1999, as Eric mentioned. Uh, it's set in 1799, so it's also at the dawn of a new millennium, which right. Johnny Depp's character even says at the end of the movie. Right. So I feel like it does play a little bit with like the, the Headless Horseman coming out and like this sort of like apocalyptic nature to the small village, you know, encapsulating what we were feeling in 1999 as a potential dawn of this end that is coming with the, the year 2000. But that's I mean, that's about as much subtext as I got from this movie. But it was like, oh, OK, that's an interesting angle I didn't pick up on the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the headless, the creepy headless horseman chops off heads. Uh, Ichabod train crane tries to stop him. Like, what's what's wrong with that? Like, that's I think that's enough, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but it just gets too bogged down. But um, a movie that isn't really bogged down, it's more simplistic. Uh, simplistic anyway um i don't know do you guys have any final thoughts on sleepy hollow no i'm good i'm good no i think i think we we've kind of covered it uh you want to move on to uh witch finder general let's do it you were all of you confessed idolaters however these proceedings shall be carried out through due process of law 
What law demands, we shall satisfy. You will each be tied in a prescribed fashion and cast into the moat. Should you then sink, we will know that your confessions are false. If, on the other hand, you are seen to swim or float, then your confessions of witchcraft are proven beyond a doubt in the sight of God, and you will be withdrawn from the water and hanged by the neck until you are dead. Okay, so uh, our Ryan's underrated pick is the uh, 1968 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, it's basically, it's a, it's kind of a. Would you, would you even call it gothic? It's, it's such a hard film to describe. But it's, it's such a weird confluence of like tones and approaches. But it, it's basically like a, it's basically a horror film that takes place during the English Civil War during uh, 1645, uh, where a, uh, a witch finder. Uh, someone who basically, you know, gets confessions out of people who are uh, accused to be witches. Uh, he's played by Winston Price. Uh, he has played some scumbags before, but this might be uh, his most scummiest uh, character. Oh, yeah. He's basically a charlatan who who basically um, just gets confessions out of anybody who got accused of being a witch, so just so he could get paid. And then he kills... Uh, the uncle of a of a woman, uh, and he's accused of being a witch, and he he has him killed so that the the woman's husband, who's a um, a dashing knight, uh, swears revenge to go after Winston Price. And it is it is brutal, it is weird, it is incredibly effective. And why did you pick uh, this Ryan as your underrated? Well, simply enough, not enough people have seen this movie. But secondly, yeah. because when I did watch this movie, uh, damn it, and I wish you didn't beat me to the punch. Like, I, <laughs> I thought entirely of this election year. I mean, think about it. You have a nation divided, <laughs> and you have this person coming in, taking full, complete advantage of that division of that system, saying whatever the fuck they want to say, <laughs> and getting whatever they want, in this case, getting paid, uh, getting laid. He uses it to, you know, for sexual advances. Mm -hmm. um, it's really he plays everyone for suckers, basically. Yeah, he plays everyone for suckers yeah. on both sides. But then, then the dark conclusion that, uh, <clears throat> the, the horrifying conclusion that he may have actually been right uh, is, like, just sticks in my gut uh at the end of this movie um but yeah i think it's fantastic for all the reasons that you you basically already laid out i think it's incredibly relevant i think it's affecting i think it's um it sets a tone it, it has a balance of tones but it's it does it incredibly well um and it's it's remnant like there's other movies i think of specifically uh while I was watching this movie, but then to discover that it predates certain movies, like the sort of descent into madness, it had the feel of a Gary, the wrath of God to me mm. a little bit. The, the, the um, wicker man, uh, the wicker the, man, the, definitely the, the weird yes. mix of tones. And mm -hmm. the fact that it's not 
necessarily in an aesthetic or a technical sense not really a horror movie but it's a horror movie because it shows and also the fact that it doesn't really have uh, it is it's a full-on horror movie that doesn't really have a uh, a supernatural element in it but it it does a great job of fully showing the horrors that people can uh, enact on each other absolutely and yeah. that that's more that's terrifying than mentioned is like yeah. like you said one of his most scummiest performances stone cold I mean, there's there's one scene where three people are being tried for being a witch that they put in the water yeah. and say if they if they survive, then they're a witch, and if they drown, well, then they weren't. One of them drowns, and like just no remorse on his face. Goes, she was innocent, but he doesn't give <laughs> a shit because he's getting paid from it. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a very dark and affecting movie, um, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Um, it sounds like you said you've seen it before or you thought you'd seen it before oh i have and i've been really looking forward to this because uh this is a fascinating film that i'm always like i've been looking forward to talking about because it is it's so um in many ways it's really bizarre uh but in many ways it's incredibly effective Mm -hmm. and it's 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 not as good as the wicker man i mean the wicker man is i think is a masterpiece but it's a film that kind of gives me the same kind of feeling of yeah we don't really need uh witches or monsters to like supernatural elements to really terrify us like the, the way that we 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 let like superstition and um you know these horrible beliefs drives us uh allows us to do so much horrible shit to each other that that's 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 horror enough and that's that's kind of like the feeling that i get from this movie is that you know and, and another interesting thing about it is that it's it's obviously made as a smaller budget kind of exploitation film and yeah. I feel like the director, uh, Michael Reeves, was um, he was like he delivers on the bare minimum elements of that. Like there's a lot of violence. There's a lot, like like a lot of violence that pushes the envelope at the time. There's a lot of nudity that pushes the envelope at the time. And so there's all those like exploitation elements are there. But it's one of those exploitation films that manages to become something much more than just titillation that shows like how people real people at the time were like innocent people were just like brutally murdered and it especially focuses on how innocent women were kind of decimated uh because people were just like ah she's a witch and you know there are some there are some scenes in this where the town folk characters like the side characters come up with such ridiculous excuses for why they think someone's a witch uh, that it reminded me of, like, maybe this was, like, the in- inspiration for um, the witch scene in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> where where the townspeople are just bored, so they just want to burn this woman as a witch. She turned and they me put into a, a newt. So <laughs> I got better. I got better. And they, they put, like, the fake nose on her and stuff. And uh, so it, it kind of reminded me of that. But this shit really happened. And it's uh, it gets the torture techniques that they use were all real and uh, the way that they burned witches by kind of like pulling them down into the fire like that's a real thing and that's horrifying uh but then at the same time it has this kind of aesthetic and tone of like a disney movie like the score is like very like swashbuckling heroics uh and the um most of the film takes place in daylight the cinematography is very like kind of soft focus attractive like it's almost like there are many scenes where you can like convince yourself that you're watching like a late 60s live action disney movie about like heroic knights or something Mm. so it's 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 a it has a bizarre aesthetic and a bizarre confluence of tones but all of it comes together in this like like fascinating and kind of 
genuinely horrifying package. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Eric? You hadn't seen this before, right? I hadn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, so another one that I'm very thankful for you guys, uh, for Ryan, for picking, because I, it, this movie hasn't even really been on my radar, really, for that long. And um, it's, it's a shame that I barely even heard much about it. And because it is really effective. And it, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is I was, like, kind of shocked by the Vincent Price performance in this movie because... Uh, at least his reputation and the movies that he was, you know, made his name on, became famous when he was younger, were like much more melodramatic, much more over mm-hmm. the top. And you really get a sense of the range that he actually had as an actor where I didn't even recognize it was him at first because he slipped into this character really, really well. And man, I even though he would often, you know, he's often known for playing like sort of in like old like Edgar Allan Poe adaptations and and like playing yeah the William Castle movies he plays right. a lot of dirt, dirt bags in those right, but nothing just right. horrific those the ones I've seen of those are more like everything feels kind of safe there's like a distance where you know like he's he's a bad guy but there's something cartoonish about it this is sinister and the yeah. thing that really struck me about this movie is like it felt very much ahead of its time because it was dealing with a subject matter that was like it's in your face but yet. The movie never shies away from it. It's all is like, it's just, it feels like just, just the right tone that they hit in terms of it shows you enough to be horrified, but it's not, um, it's not over the top. You know, I, maybe I'm thinking about that more after our last episode where we looked at two horror movies that were very over the top, very graphic. And, uh, this one is sort of refreshingly like it's bad, but more in your imagination, uh, more in that style. And, um, yeah. So for me, this is a, this is a real discovery. I thought this movie was, um, I, I didn't know what to expect other than, you know, the title and you guys talking about it and thinking, well, this might be like sort of a good goofy time. I had no idea that it was like, this is, this movie's hardcore like it. And mm-hmm. I really yeah. appreciated it for that. It's, um, and that's why I, decided to pick it against sleepy hollow because it's like sleepy hollow just feels like the more like artificial version of something like this. It's like, it tries to be, you know, maybe more sinister or, but it's like the more art deco version. Whereas this one is very, I mean, and, and in your face about the things that it's trying to confront you with. And like, it's more, it's more violent, but it doesn't leave you terrified. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like a goofy fun time. There's a little bit of mystery in it and blah, blah. But uh, this one is just, you know, the the way that it leaves you with this like feeling of horror and dread, is very. It's still very effective. It's it's a film that really uh, stands up. Yeah, well, and it's a British film, so it's not ex- exactly connected to the like the the stuff that was starting to happen in Hollywood at the time. With you know, you had um, it's a year before Easy Rider, but. Bonnie and Clyde has come out. The graduate has come out. Like those movies got attention and captured like youth culture and were about things and also up the ante in terms of what you could show, you know, like graphic violence mm-hmm. and things like that intensity of tone. Um, but well, well, in the horror world, this is around the same time as night of the living dead. So there was like right? this, there's that, yeah. uh, there was like this the starting of like the pushing the envelope as far as like the violence and the, like the horror that you were, you could see was involved. And both films, Night of the Living Dead included, uh, with this is they're they're about more than just their their horror movies, but there's more to them than that. And it's mm-hmm. um, you know like what more could you ask for? I mean, this film is really like it does still resonate today, and it's it's kind of scary when you start to unpack it in the in, in a modern political viewpoint right now. I'm just thinking like what 
people will go along with, you know, like if you're so like you look at um, different different characters in this movie, Witchfinder General, like there's there's the townspeople that want to kill the witches and they're just sort of that mob mentality. And it's so I don't know, it's like really beautifully rendered, horrifically rendered in this movie to see that mob mentality and how it's like you just go along with it because it's essentially what better than being the person that's being accused and how that can just be twisted and uh, abused. And you see the Vincent Price character is just a uh, charlatan is a great word for it. It's it's he's that he's also just a swindler. He's there because mm-hmm. he he's found a way to make uh, a good living off of this. And he has no moral compunctions uh, de- dealing out. And, and uh, also to rape, and... rape, rape a bunch of women. Oh, exactly. Uh, when, yeah. When he uses, you know, he uses. I mean, this is like uh, this is like prescient stuff right now. Yeah. And you see, <laughs> as you far s- as as far as the way the film deals with you know misogyny and the way that men use charlatans use power to like sleep with women, like this is as like uh, up to date as you can get right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And you know, you just also see uh, like. Again, that that Vincent Price performance just really sticks out for me. Where I was like really shocked by the subtlety in it, and maybe I just need to watch more Vincent Price films. But for for me, this one like was just like wow. He he was more than just sort of a persona. He was an actor, and uh, it, it it harkens back to his earlier career, like you said, where he played like more subtle characters. But of course, William Castle is the king of over the top showmanship, so uh, Vincent Price had to like ham it up a lot in his films. But yeah, in this in this case, it's, it's kind of like a return to like it's still horror. He's still playing a bad guy, like on in all the William Castle films. But it's it's kind of a return to that to to form to films like the performances he gave in films like Laura or um, you know all the the film noirs that he played in. And um, it's a good mix of those two. Like right. he's, he's sinister, but there's a uh, it's more subtle, and it's that makes it more terrifying because he's always in control because he knows that he's always gonna he's he's he, he knows that he's always in control. That's what makes him so calm because he has faith in the stupidity of people around him and the stupidity of the people around him never lets him down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was shocked to find out that like the character that Vincent Price plays was in fact a real person. Uh, what was his Hopkins? Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. Hopkins. Um... He's responsible for something insane, like 80% of all the witches killed. Around that's, the time. That's insane. So if you think about it, Witchfinder General also falls into the genre. Like biography, of, maybe? It's a biopic <laughs> in some ways. But yet, if we look at it like that, um, I always just find this interesting is when you find a movie that qualifies for something that's really in vogue nowadays. And biopics have been for for all. They've been popular for two decades, at least, and maybe even longer, you know, but. Um, in terms of prestige and attention they get, it's like if your movie is based on a true story, there just seems to be this automatic, like, we have to take this seriously now, which I find strange. And what mm-hmm. I love about Witchfinder Jenner is it technically is a biopic, and it's like, none of that matters. I didn't need to know that he was a real person. It's just a cool, fascinating thing to find out after the fact and be like, holy shit, like, this is a real guy. And we only see him kill a handful of people, but yeah, they were responsible for like over 300 you know, witch murders and just over a couple of years, basically. So, um, finding that out was shocking. And, uh, and also I, I, you know, on a, on a other level of the movie, I, I thought it like, it looked really great in that same way that Wicker Man does too. the daytime, that daylight pastoral British kind of horror vibe that it gets is like, um, it's there right from the beginning. There's this real slow drawn out, um, hanging sequence in the beginning. And, 
uh, I just, I was like hooked in this movie, like right away and, um, horrified as I watched it all the way through. But, um, but also, I, I mean, I guess I don't want to scare people off because, you know, it isn't a movie that a lot of people know of and they should seek out is it, it's, it is, it's like entertaining in that way that, um, because it's so fascinating, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's mm-hmm. like a good way to well, put it. And it's not an easy movie to find, unfortunately. Like yes, you can't stream it anywhere. Like you, you, you have to order it at, from Amazon or you have to go to a video store and rent it if you're still lucky enough to have one. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's a very difficult movie to find. And I do like, as you mentioned that daytime, that, that idea like you said, with Wicker Man, what I like about Wicker Man and this movie is that monsters don't just live in the night, that they're actually in that they're out in broad daylight. They're out in the world, which yeah. is like I love that visual. And and, and sometimes they're respected uh, figures of power Yeah, a lot exactly. of the times. And that's 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 part of like the, the horror of it is that people respect this guy and the law is on his side. And, you know, what what can you do? You get to the end uh, and uh the climax of the film and you're just like well the protagonists are fucked <laughs> right so it's it's one of those situations where you're just like you don't really see like a happy ending that could come out of it and there's there's a little bit of that but um the final seconds of the film are haunting because even if the some of the char- some of the characters even if they're safe it's the the horror that they've that they've been through and especially like the way it the last couple of seconds is basically like the sound of a woman screaming Mm-hmm. And it really hammers in the home of like how much misogyny, uh, men being in power and basically being able to do whatever they wanted with women, played a part in all these like witch burnings. You know, like a guy could easily be like, oh, uh, oh, this girl didn't give it up. I wanted to like have sex with her and she didn't give it up. So I'm going to make up some excuse that she's a witch. And then here comes the witch finder. And even if he doesn't get a confession, after days of torture, he basically like looks at the the warden and the the people at the jail and be like, "Well, you heard her; she confessed." <laughs> right, right. Which so the, it's, it's the, there's the no real... way out. You're fucked. Well, and then the, like not only are they fucked because of the horror that they've already gone through, but the like as I mentioned at the top of this segment, uh, the hard realization, at least with one of the characters, where like for most of the movie. Um, we're horrified because Vincent Price's character is using that power to get exactly what he wanted. We never buy for a second that anybody who was tried for witchcraft was actually a part of witchcraft. Like, there's no sense of that uh-huh. until the very end of the movie where one character you're like may actually be. I mean, he's possessed by rage, but could potentially also be possessed by witchcraft uh, and i i don't I, know i think that was just rage i, I think okay. i think he was just uh without getting into too many spoilers i think he was just he had a focus he had a mission and he was so hell-bent on finishing that mission that he was so angry that someone else did it for him i can that see that i, I, I think i think he was just full that. of rage i, I think uh, i may be looking for even murkier waters in this movie already yeah i don't i don't, but I don't think so i see i see where you're coming at it's definitely it's a weird choice it's 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 a choice that like the acting choice goes so over the top that you're just like is there some supernatural element in this at all but like what do you think about that eric that the do you know the scene we're talking about yeah no i'm I'm really glad this got brought up because i was going to ask ryan what he meant and i felt like did i miss yeah i was going to ask him too because but i i like 
where you're going with it, Ryan, because like, who's to say like the part of what I found so powerful about the ending and it is haunting the way that scream continues, but there's a sort of freeze frame image wipe in the, in the movie before it goes to credits is that like, it leaves you hanging. This is a movie that's okay without completely tying all the loose ends. It definitely concludes, you know, the story has come to an end, but it's not, wrapping it all up in a way that um that's what i was referring to where it felt like it it is of that time like turn of the right before the 70s are going to start where like movies were just being made on the regular from hollywood where they could leave you lingering on a a a more open-ended or or leave it lingering or have certain things happen that are ambiguous enough that you might conclude something else from it also leave it on a dark note a dark note exactly but i uh to leave you hanging and it's okay like they're they they trust the audience to go with that and not be pissed off about it um i will admit i didn't have that i didn't think oh is he possessed by something but i do like um whether it's what you know the director intended or what they intended the actor i like where ryan's going with it because this is a kind of movie that opens it up for that sort of stuff more than definitely 90 percent of most horror movies and um but yeah if i'm being honest i i was going to ask about that because i i did not make that connection but um i i kind of love it i'd like to actually hear more if, if ryan wants to expand on it we, we put you on the spot man confess <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> yeah, a witch you're going to use your influential power for, to get me to confess to something that isn't may or may not actually be true um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I did think because the you can see where this character, especially because, as Octay pointed out, he's he's a dashing, heroic character mm. and he flips that switch very, very fast. And I love that score when when happens. he's when he's riding the uh, the the horse like that, that swashbuckling Disney score, which is like so weird tonally, but it, it totally fits the movie. I agree, but I, I love like the character, even though you 100% see where that rage is bubbling from that he get I, clearly, but the fact that up until that point, he was so nonchalant or very calm about it. Right. Like, even when he was chained up and he's like, you know, he's like, if you confess first, I'll spare her. And he says something effective, like, I'm going to kill you. Just very, like, nonchalantly, like, very confident mm. that it was going to happen. So it leads, you know, there's yeah, there's something potentially there that he that he knew that that was going to happen or he was just doing it to guard himself from those horrors. Or maybe but it's more like it's, that the connection you're making where you're like, wow, is he really possessed by something is nothing more than what they, were, they wanted you to feel in terms of when you get a, even a guy who's played it pretty cool through most of this movie it's like he goes definitely outside of his character as we've come to know him in that those final moments but it's mm-hmm. like he's driven to that you know like by the witch finder general he's driven to that because his the love of his life is suddenly in danger and you i mean on another level it's like is it that different from being possessed are they just trying to make it seem like one in the same where anybody's gonna have their breaking point and when someone gets the, the a government-backed you know, authority to do the shit that, that the Vincent Price character does. It's like, it will drive good people that have, that want nothing more than to love each other and have, make a good life for themselves. You know, like it will drive them to, uh, to, to insanity, to violent rage. And it it's maybe it's similar to something like what Peckinpah was going for with straw dogs, you know, that kind of effect of like, you mm-hmm. just get, you just get pushed. And, um, whether it literally is a supernatural element or not, may, maybe, maybe it is there, but also like, is it really that different? It's, 
um it's it's fun to chew on like uh, having only yeah, just they, i mean the, these guy. people are not gonna be fine after exactly this no, ending like and, and, and it shows that like maybe he's gonna maybe it's like that straw dogs type of ending maybe he's gonna just turn into a psychopath and you know not be able to you know he's just gonna go out there and start killing innocent people with this because he's a person who has power too he's a very like well-revered knight mm-hmm. and so now it's like there's by the end yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. that element too. Maybe he's gonna become like a like go high up in the ranks and just like start killing innocent people willy nilly because that's the kind of treatment that he got. Like it definitely do- it definitely leaves you on a note of like like yeah, these people are gonna be fucked up. Like this is not really like a like a hunky dory Disney ending. There's a Severus effect where one hit head gets cut off and then three more emerge essentially yep. Yep. that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. And unfortunately, this is very interesting. The um, I was going to say, like, hey, maybe we should ask the director. But he died a year after yeah, Witchfinder General was really, released. really, sad. Cause the, and a very young guy, the... too. He was, like, 22 when he made this movie. It's 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 crazy. Uh, and such a, like, confidently made adult uh, film. I mean, it's still a, you know, technically it's an exploitation film. But... He he went around the the confines of that to make a genuinely great uh, horror movie at that age. Because we won't very... get to see, you know we never got to see what would you know potentially become from this filmmaker. Uh, yeah. And maybe, maybe he you know who knows maybe it would have been sort of like a one off like the the director of the Wicker Man, which forgive me I'm forgetting his name. I know he Robin Hardy. Robin, Robin Hardy. Hardy. Right. Yeah. Um, where and, I mean that was kind and of he made kind of a sequel strength, to but... it, but you know, it was okay. Right, but like you know, he's we, he still had the Wicker Man, and that yeah, was exactly you know, an amazing movie. But no one knows you know, the fact movies. that the fact that we don't know what Michael Reeves, uh, you know, could be capable of after the fact. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, I because I had discovered this movie, I'd actually written an article for the playlist about it. Um, that Nicholas Winding Refn was sort of uh, in talks to shepherd a a remake of this movie mm-hmm. uh, into into production. So I was I was curious what you guys thought about that i mean granted take it with a huge grain of salt because refin's been attached to a lot of projects but yeah. it's completely fallen by the wayside but like you know we we talk about this movie being uh completely relevant today do, do you would you want to see a remake do you think this movie needs a remake if refin uh, is making it yes <laughs> i would i would yeah you guys know i'm gonna be all for that but i i, th- I think and i'm not could, even a fan but yeah. i feel like he would do a really interesting job with this I think he would update it in a way. Or that, Ben Wheatley. Yeah, Ben. Well, Ben Wheatley kind of already made a movie like this. It's called Field in England. That's not that. I mean, it's great. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. But you can definitely see he's probably a huge fan of Witchfinder General. Is is my guess? Because mm-hmm. I think it's even the same time period uh, that it's set. But um, anyway, they're not. They're not definitely not one to one similar uh, similar movies. But Ben Wheatley could. I would love to see Wheatley do a remake of this. But I think Reffin would do something different enough you know he would make it if he was personally making it directing it i think it would be so much in his own style that it would definitely be its own thing and i'd love to see what he could what he could do with it uh and you know it's just a matter of will will he get i mean there's it's rife for subtext and deep subtext and stuff that's right on the surface that could all be on point um you know as much as i'm a fan of ref and he i just hope he would get that that tone right for that sort of thing but I, i'm excited if, if it happens it would be cool yeah, I mean, but, I mean um, we already got a pretty good spiritual remake of this movie this year with The Witch. Yeah, yes, uh, yeah. yes, that's true. Yeah, but that that has uh, you know not to spoil too much that that does dabble into 
the, the fascinating part about the witch is that it goes you think for it. it's gonna be another yeah. one that's like oh yeah it's gonna be like about it's not gonna be supernatural it's gonna be about how paranoia right destroys uh paranoia and claustrophobia destroys people's minds or whatever and then you know it takes a twist there but it does a great job at it and so so it's a different it's a different approach i would mm-hmm. say but yeah it's it's very similar in that kind of grim tone and uh yeah i mean eric you know that uh ever since we met i've been saying that um as much as i'm not a huge fan of uh refin and you and i discussed this uh uh all the time but um that i've you know that i've always been i've always been saying that um i always look forward to refin kind of tackling a straight uh genre piece Mm. uh like an exploitation piece and putting his stamp on it and maybe something like this could be like very interesting uh in that way something that wasn't an original refin idea is like what you've said before like if he had to do something that wasn't necessarily born from a script of his or something like yes yeah, yes that, that's what i mean a uh, property yeah, like this yeah where it would hone him in thing, but this kind of property that has like the elements of like this these like creepy elements that would like really fit into his mold and you know mm. so i feel like something like that i would be very interested to see For even sure. though i'm not a big fan right mm-hmm. i would see it if he directed it. i think he's attached to produce it uh, okay uh, which, yeah. which again who knows if it will actually happen <laughs> but uh i just just figured i would at least throw that question out there i should get the director of the witch to to do it i don't know if he wants sure. to like dabble in I'd, the same. I'd love to, i'd love to see uh, him sort of like see what he does next as opposed to yeah, like yeah. A, like a, either a regression or a like you know similar like i would i'd like to see uh like the next evolution in in his career but but he would he would do a good job for sure mm-hmm. for sure um, yeah. But anyway, so, uh, I think we're sounds like we're winding up. I was curious if you guys had any closing thoughts on, on this movie. I would say seek it out. Yeah, it's not an easy film to find. I think it's available on DVD. You can find it. I think it's part of like a Winston Price collection. There's also a region. Uh, it, it isn't a British import, but the, it is region free. There is a Blu-ray out there yeah. Ooh, um, nice. that, I, that I own. Uh, and it's nice. um yeah, you can get it on Amazon. It's it's uh, yeah, it looks incredible. I rented it Scarecrow the first time I saw it and uh, <laughs> and bought it. So it's 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 out there and it looks great. Yeah. yeah so if, if if you're really into like kind of undiscovered, really weird, interesting but very effective kind of stories about like the horrors that people can enact on each other or you know like that kind of like gothic horror but like really well made, I would definitely check check it out. Um, it's yeah, it's a film that needs to be like sought out and championed in my opinion yeah it's worth it's worth doing the work right now to, f- to find it and seek it out yes definitely yes that, that that's what i was uh, trying to get to with all that like yeah it's 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 worth it's one of those films where you're just like yeah it's, it's worth it's worth seeking out for sure definitely for sure yeah uh, okay, thank you so much for listening to our second Halloween episode of the year. Uh, as always, uh, Over Under Movies podcast is brought to you by The Playlist Podcast Network at uh, at theplaylist.net. And we want to thank our editor-in-chief, uh, Rodrigo Perez, and also, of course, Eric for um, being the, the our, our amazing podcast master. Uh, and you know make sure to uh, over under movies is part of the network so make sure to check out our other shows like um, adjust your tracking uh, which Eric co-hosts with uh, Joe Van Appen Um, the regular playlist podcast where you know every once in a while we just you know everybody just talks about like whatever's 
going on in the film world. And there, there's also Bingeworthy, which mm-hmm. is about uh, TV shows. Uh, it's a show about TV shows, so check that out as well. And you can find us on iTunes and on Playlist Podcast uh, tab on the playlist.net, and also on Twitter at OverUnderMovies and on Facebook.com slash OverUnderMovies. This is Octay Ege Kozak. Uh, I'm a film critic and contributor at The Oregon Herald. DVD Talk, uh, The Playlist, and BayasParada.com. I'm Eric McClanahan, podcast editor for The Playlist. I'm Ryan Oliver. I'm a contributor here at Playlist.net. Yeah, before we go, uh, I am going to tease uh, my picks for our third and final Halloween episode. And uh, my underrated, I'm, I'm going with the zombie horror genre, and my underrated is going to be the great 1985 Dan O'Bannon zombie meta zombie comedy return of the living dead and my overrated is a little bit of a heartbreaking one because i really like this movie but the more and more i thought about it it made sense to have it as an overrated pick it's going to be the the first part of the cornetta trilogy by um simon pegg and edgar wright uh sean of the dead is going to be the overrated pick and before you uh kind of start mailing uh (laughs) bombs accusing you of witchcraft uh, yeah or accusing me of witchcraft and have winston price show up winston price show up at my door and start like poking me with an ice pick on my back before you do all that hear me out it's not it's gonna be you know it's gonna be interesting and i'm gonna make my case but i can easily say that i this is a movie that i really like but this is overrated and underrated not bad or good but anyway look forward to that uh if you want to uh catch up with these films uh before the episode that'll be awesome uh you'll be up to date but uh until then thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll we'll see you on the next one bye